Our sermon text for this morning comes from the book of Hebrews. We've been working through Hebrews for a number of months now, and uh, we are in Hebrews 12. There are 13 chapters, so we're getting close to the end of this amazing book, but we're in Hebrews 12. We're looking at just five verses today, six verses, Hebrews 12 through 17, and we're not actually even going to be looking at all of that. We're, we're going to be looking mostly at the first uh, three or four verses of that. But before we read it, Hebrews 12, 12 to 17, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the fact that you have not left us to ourselves. You've not left, left us to our own thoughts. You've not left us to our own imaginations, uh, but you have given us your word. You've given us the scriptures that we might know you, uh, you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, uh, that we might know your gospel, that we might know your grace and mercy, that we might know uh, how to live for you in the world. And we pray, Father, that you would uh, speak to us now. Uh, we pray that you would uh, speak to us through your word, give us wisdom and direction, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Well, the Christian life is not easy, but that doesn't mean it should be confusing. I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Obviously, there is a lot of mystery in the Christian life. There are things about God that we will never fathom, but that doesn't mean that we should be confused about how to live the Christian life day by day, which is not quite the same thing as here's the three easy steps to a better you, but, but it is the recognition that the Bible gives us clear instructions on how to live the Christian life. Now, the worry of some is that if we talk about the Bible's instructions, that we will somehow distort grace. Well, I have no interest in distorting grace, but I, I don't think that talk of Scripture's instructions will do this, right? And of course, Jesus didn't think so either, and neither did the apostles, right? Just read the New Testament. There are a lot of instructions and commands and rules and principles. Think about Ephesians chapters 4 and 5, which we read parts of earlier. It includes commands like, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Put off your old self. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self. Speak the truth with your neighbor. Be angry and do not sin. Give up no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Walk as children of light. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is quite a number of exhortations. But Paul is not thereby distorting grace. He is telling us how to live in it. In the beginning of this chapter in the book of Hebrews, our writer exhorted us to run the race set before us. And he then said that our difficulties, the trials that we experience in life, are a part of God's boot camp, his spring training to shape us into his image. And knowing that, that all of our struggles and trials are according to God's plan, his, his loving discipline in our lives, Knowing that, he then gives us these exhortations. And I'm going to summarize them under three headings. Get ready, work hard, and watch out. And so knowing that your suffering is a part of God's plan in your life, having heard the call to run the race set before us, knowing that your suffering is, is not in vain, that it's not meaningless, that God is using it, knowing that, number one, get ready. It is, it is so easy to be discouraged, right? To, to languish, to give up, to waste away, to droop and wilt and fade, right? Sufferings come, trials happen. We can see no good purpose to them. We can see no way forward. Uh, we just want to hit the eject button, right? We just want out. We want it all to be over. But seeing no way out, we, we, we simply begin to exist, right? If, if it can be called existence, we kind of plod along no expectations, no real hope. We drag our feet, our hands dangling by our sides. We frequently stumble because we're not even looking where we're going. We, we subsist, we struggle along. We are surviving, but not thriving. And sometimes in the Christian life, this is because we're, we're struggling with some sin. We don't feel that we are growing. We're not overcoming. We are not victorious. We feel defeated. We feel like failures. And we just hope that Jesus will come back soon so we can be done with it all. Well, our, our first two verses this morning are, are, are a general exhortation to us in the midst of that. To not give up. To get ready. To, to, to not drop out of the race, but to brace yourself for what lies ahead. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Now, lifting the hands and strengthening the knees are kind of the physical manifestations of taking heart, of gaining courage, of getting ready. Uh, you see this in Isaiah 35, where God says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the, weak, the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Of course, that verse in Isaiah also tells us why it is that we can take heart, why it is that we can get ready. Behold your God. Right? If, if all of our struggles are a part of God's plan, if God is in this working for our good yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then, then we are not alone. Our suffering is not in vain. We can have hope 
that God is at work in the midst of this all. And the proof of that is in the cross and the resurrection, right? Jesus died for our sins in our place, and then the Father raised him from the dead. The resurrection shows us that God does not abandon his people. The worst that can happen will not be the end. No matter how long you are, no matter how low you go in this life, God will exalt you in the life to come. So we have hope in the hard things that God is writing his story in our lives, that God is not done with us. God will not abandon us. God will come through. And so we endure, we take heart. Now, it's worth noting, right, that, that the phrase strengthening your weak knees, that, that seems like an odd exhortation to me. And I mean this, right, if I am weak, if I have weak knees, right, if I am weak, how can I strengthen myself? If I feel weak, how do I become strong? Well, first, as uh, we've already said, right, you look outside of yourself, right? You look to God. You look to God's faithfulness. You look to God's work in Jesus. You, you look to God's power and presence in the Spirit. You find strength in Him. But second, you, you use what you have, right? You use the strength you have, not the strength that you wish you had, right? And you, you pray like the Father. You remember in, in Mark 9 who says, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? You pray, Father, I want to lift my hands and I want to strengthen my hands. I want to strengthen my knees. I, 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 I lift them up far enough to look up to you, but I feel so weak. So I'm looking to you. Help me to look to you. And of course, the very asking is the act of lifting yourself up out of the mire, out of unbelief, out of the sadness, out of the confusion, out of hopelessness, as you look to the one who is at work in the midst of your troubles. Our writer goes on in verse 13 to say, And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. I recently went on a, a trip with Thomas and Nathaniel to North Dakota. And uh, to make a path, right, meant to plan for that trip, to prepare for it. I had to know the way to go. Of course, Google did that for me. And, and I had to make sure, in as much as it depended on me, that there were no obstacles in my way. Right? To make straight paths for your feet means you consider the way before you, the path itself, and you clear out any obstacles that are in your, your way. Right? You, you make the path straight. And, and this is really uh, quite practical. Right? Remember uh, uh, that this, uh, of course, is a metaphor. Right? The race set before us is not a physical race, but it's the, it's the walk of faith. It's living by faith. And so make straight paths, right, means consider your way and clear out any obstacles to that way. So, so how will you run the race? How do you live the Christian life? Well, Hebrews 12, 2 told us, keeping your eyes on Jesus, right, looking to him. What are the obstacles in your way? Well, the, the, those things in your life which hinder you from keeping your eyes on Jesus, are there things that you love or things that you feel you need or things that you would say you can't live without or things which distract you or things which rule your heart? Is there anything that would distract you from Jesus? Make straight paths means get those things out of the way. Why? Because when you keep the, the fading things of this world in your heart, you, you're seeking life in created things and the broken places in your heart can't heal. You, you cause yourself to stumble because you're holding on to the broken things and the fading things in this world. If there is something in your life that causes you to stumble, right? Get rid of it. That, that may be uh, a person who entices you to sin uh, from whom you, you need to disconnect because they keep 
pushing you toward the wrong paths. It may be an object, right, that represents your agenda rather than God's agenda for your life, and you simply need to get rid of it. Maybe a dream that you're holding on to, which is inconsistent with God's call on your life. I don't know, right? But, but if there is something in your life that's causing you to stumble, that's hindering you from, from healing and growing in the Christian life, that's stopping you from, from this walk of work of sanctification that is slowing down your race, get rid of it, right? Make straight paths for your feet. Don't let anything get in the way of your walk with Jesus. And so running this race takes planning, right? How am I going to walk? Well, looking to Jesus. And it takes preparation. What do I need to get out of the way? What do I need to get rid of that might hinder otherwise, that might otherwise hinder my walk with Jesus? But whatever it takes, whatever planning, whatever preparation, do it. Right? God is at work in your life. He, he will bring you to the end and it will be glorious. And so strengthen your heart and clear your way, keeping your eyes on Jesus. So number one is get ready. Number two is work hard. Our writer moves from this general exhortation, get ready, to a positive one, strive. And I started out saying that the Christian life is not easy, and that's true for, for a number of reasons, at least three uh, that I can think of. The first is this life is filled with suffering. The second is that I am filled with sin. And so I've got this evil outside of me, and I've got evil inside of me, and both of them seek to hinder my pursuit of Jesus. Both of them get in the way. Both of them are obstacles. The third reason the Christian life is not easy is that there is work to be done. It's not the kind of work that, you, you, you know, you just do a little here, you do a little there, you, you, you do some, when you get around to it. No, the writer says, strive. And Paul uses that word in Philippians 3.12. He says, not that I already have obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. That's the word. Strive, press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The word is about earnestly, zealously seeking after something. And if you want to live the Christian life, you, you can't just, you know, kind of try for peace and holiness. You, you can't just hope for it or, or wish it would happen at some point, right? You've got to, you've got to strive, which is to say whatever it takes to pursue peace and gain holiness, that is what you do. There is nothing more important, right? Which, which again brings us back to straight paths. If something's in your way, get rid of it. Above all, pursue peace, pursue holiness, strive for these things. Now, there are just these two things that the writer highlights in verse 14. Verse 14, he says, um, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Why these two? I, I think because they really summarize what it looks like to be in a right relationship with God and man. And peace in scripture is this macro concept, right? Peace means everything the way it ought to be, everything thriving, growing, interacting in beauty and order. Strive for peace with everyone, the writer says. Now in this context, this especially would have meant those who were oppressing them. We've seen before that the Hebrews were facing various kinds of persecution and oppression. They, they were mild. The writer says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, but that doesn't mean that it, that it wasn't real and that it wasn't difficult. But of course, it can be just as hard to strive for peace with your family members or your coworkers. Right? To strive for peace means do whatever you can to make peace. 
Paul says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now that qualifies this sum, doesn't it, right? It recognizes that, that peace is not always possible uh, because peace depends not just on me. There are some things I cannot do, right? I, I can't disobey God for the sake of peace, which means sometimes uh, with some people we, we won't get there. And yet Romans 12, 18, it, it, it qualifies it, but it really raises the standard too, right? So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That means doing everything that you can do to make it happen. That means making the hard phone call or saying you're sorry or admitting you're wrong or giving up your rights at times or letting hurts go when appropriate, right? If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all means being willing to enter into the hard conversation and to seek peace with those around you. Again, sometimes people just don't want peace. They, they want to persist in unhealthy and unloving ways of living. You can't change that. Their actions are not your responsibility. But Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, our Father, of course, is the, the model of this, right? Romans 5.10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. So far as it depended on Him, He acted to make peace. Ephesians 2.17, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus came preaching peace, offering peace, bringing reconciliation, bearing hurts, forgiving sins, arms wide open. So as Paul puts it elsewhere in Ephesians 4, he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Right? We forgive as we have been forgiven. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, when we get grace, Christ's love for us, God's forgiveness of us, when we get grace, we become instruments of grace. Only when we understand it can we begin to live it. Only once we receive it can we show it to those around us. Strive for peace with everyone. The same peace that God has made with you in Christ. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You know, peace is this if possible, so far as it depends on you type thing. That is not the case with holiness, right? Holiness is a without which no one will see the Lord type thing. Holiness is a non-negotiable. Holiness is something for which we strive no matter what. And there are so many layers to holiness. We, we can't talk about them all here, but the simplicity of it is this. To be holy is to be wholly dedicated to God. Holiness is, is not simply a list of rules and it is not a list of man-made rules. It is a life offered up to God in every part. It is, God, I belong to you, right? Not, not to myself, not to this world. Netflix doesn't own me. Beauty doesn't own me. Academics doesn't own me. Family doesn't own me. My friends don't own me. My house doesn't own me. My pleasure doesn't own me. My desires don't own me. Comfort doesn't own me. Politics doesn't own me. I belong to Jesus. I am wholly dedicated, wholly consecrated, wholly set apart for Him. This is Romans 12, 1 stuff, right? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Uh, one of those sacrifices in the Old Testament was the whole burnt offering. And part of the point of the whole burnt offering was that our whole lives are dedicated to God. Not one part is left out. Now, our, our writer says that without this whole dedication to God, we will not see him. Now, seeing God is an amazing and deep discussion, which we can't exhaust here, but scripture in, in, you know, in one place, it says no one can see God and live. And in the same book, it says that Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up on Mount Sinai and they saw the God of Israel and, and he did not lay a hand on them. They beheld God and ate and drank, it tells us. John tells us no one has ever seen God, but Revelation 22, on the other hand, says God's servants will see his face. So seeing God could, could mean a few different things, and it does mean different things at different times. Are we talking about physical sight or spiritual sight? Are we talking about the eyes in our head or the eyes of faith? Hebrews uh, eleven twenty seven, which we looked at a few weeks ago, says Moses left Egypt and endured as seeing him who is invisible. Right? He saw with the eyes of faith. Are we talking about physical then or spiritual? Are we talking about seeing God in this age or seeing God in the age to come? Seeing God in all his glory or gaining a glimpse of his grace? And so I, I think when the writer says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, uh, there are at least two senses in which that is true. Uh, the first is in the future. No one can enter God's presence who is not holy. That is why our hope is in the work of Christ, right? That he who began a good work in us, will, in us will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. We have been declared holy and declared righteous in God's sight, and we are being made holy through the work of sanctification. And we need Jesus to complete his sanctifying work in us. We need Jesus to make us holy, to, to prepare us for the presence of the Father. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But that holiness for us is in Jesus. It's not a holiness we manufacture. It's a holiness Jesus has given to us and then works in us. Second, in the present. In the present, we, we, can't, we cannot see God now with the eyes in our head, but we can see him with the eyes of faith, right? We can be attentive to God's work in the world. We can have a sense of what God is doing. And uh, I, I don't really mean something mystical here, but, but maybe it is a little, maybe it sounds a little mystical. I just mean if our lives are constantly mixed with sin, if we are divided in heart, we will not be aware of what God is doing. But the more we are devoted to our Father, the more we will have a sense of His working in the world, not because of the eyes in our head, but because of the eyes of faith. And we should note, right, that, that seeing God is true joy. That's what's at stake here, right? God is the source of all good, all truth, all beauty. Everything that is good or true or beautiful is a pale reflection of something in Him. Everything that is tasty and delightful and wonderful is a pale reflection of His wonder and glory. We must see God because we were made for joy. We might put it like this, right? Holiness is necessary to seeing God, and seeing God is true joy. Therefore, holiness is necessary for true joy. Do you want joy, right? Strive for holiness, which of course shows how foolish we are when we strive for joy in sin. It just doesn't work because true joy is found in seeing our God, in knowing Him 
in knowing His love, in knowing His grace, in knowing His mercy, in knowing His holiness, in knowing every part of Him, seeing Him in all of His glory, that is true joy. And so strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Of course, the next question is then, well, how do we do that, right? How do we strive for holiness? I've come to, to realize, right, that one way of talking about this is that there are really two layers of life change in the Christian life, right? The first is what we can do. Uh, we can read our Bibles. We can pray. We can attend worship. We can confess our sins to one another. We can mourn our sin. We can set our eyes on Jesus. We can meditate on the gospel. We can seek to obey God's word. We can serve those around us in tangible and physical ways. And in all of these things, we are, we are striving after holiness. Now, we, we, we don't do them in our own strength. We do them in dependence upon the Spirit consciously dependent on the work of the Spirit to, to use those means uh, in our lives, but we must do them. But there, then there is this second layer of change, right? It, it, it's not something that we can per se do, but it's something that we are aiming at through it all. And that is holiness of heart and life, genuine gratitude and kindness and joy and peace, all centered on the triune God. And so we strive for holiness by using the means of grace going through the motions of repentance and faith and new obedience, and then we rely on the Spirit to use those means to work holiness in us according to His timing and will. And so strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So that's point one, get ready. Point two, work hard, strive for peace and holiness. Finally, uh, number three, watch out. The writer follows up his general exhortation in verses 12 and 13 and his positive exhortation to strive in verse 14 with three negative exhortations in verses 15 to 17. And notice the three no's as we read those verses. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. It's one thing, right, to get ready for some endeavor. It's another thing to, to strive hard after it, but it is yet another thing to be aware of all of those things which will hinder you in the way those things which will slow you down, those things which will trip you up and turn you aside. If you're getting ready for some athletic competition, right, it's not enough to set your mind on it, to, to write up a practice schedule and set your alarm for 5 a.m., right? You, you've also got to be aware of those things which will trip you up along the way, right? Like, like binge watching your favorite Netflix show. That, that will probably mess up your practice routine or, or eating an entire Papa Dell's pizza and following that up with a trip to Jarling's. That, that will probably slow you down when you try to hit the gym afterward. And so there needs to be some awareness, uh, not only of the right way forward, but also of the roadblocks, right? The obstacles, the, the detours along the way. And our writer mentions three of them. And yet before we look at them, and we're only going to get to the first one this week, but before we look at them, I want us to step back and notice that these exhortations, verses 15 through 17, are plural. In fact, this has been true the whole time. Uh, lift your hands, plural, your drooping hands. Make straight paths for your, plural, feet. 
strive. Again, it's a plural verb, strive. The writer is saying, you all strive, or if you're in the South, y'all strive, or if you're in Philly, use guys, strive, right? All of you together strive. But it's not just that, that you, you all as individuals each do these things, it is you all as a community. And that becomes uh, necessarily the case when you get to verse 15 and following, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. <clears throat> not just see to it that you don't fail to obtain the grace of God, but see to it that no one, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up. That is no root of bitterness in the community, as we'll see next week uh, when we get to that phrase. See to it that no one is immoral or unholy like Esau. Not just make sure you are not immoral or unholy, but see to it that no one is. And our burden here is not, is not simply for our own peace and holiness, but that of the whole community, the whole church. The Christian life is not a, a solitary endeavor, and, and you will not be able to live it on your own, right? You need the church. You need God's people. We need one another. And that means knowing and being known. That means vulnerability, as we talked about this morning in Sunday school. That, that means creativity, in the time of COVID, right? How do we maintain community in the midst of all this craziness? That means a level of honesty with one another that will make us uncomfortable. You know, I, I really think, uh, and I don't like this fact, but I really think it's true, right? If you are not uncomfortable in community at times with your own level of honesty or others, we're probably not being honest enough. Right? I, I find sometimes non-Christians are actually more honest with one another because they, they, of course, they've chucked all the moral absolutes. And we can't do that. But we can be that honest, not because we don't believe in moral absolutes, but because we believe in a God of grace. Our writer has already said that we need community to protect us. He said that back in, in Hebrews chapter 3. He said, take care, brothers, lest there be in you uh, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. According to the writer of Hebrews, we need daily exhortation from the body. Not weekly, not once a week, not, not Sunday, and then, you know, during a midweek Bible study. Daily exhortation. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. And here in, in uh, chapter 12, the, the call is to watch over one another. Uh, the, the phrase is in verse uh, 15, see to it, see to it. Now that is the verb from which we get the noun overseer, actually, uh, which goes to show that, that while there are appointed overseers in the church, everyone is responsible to oversee, to watch over one another. And really... Um, you know, the formal leadership in any church can't know everyone as well as we need to be known. We need to know one another for this to work. See to it. Watch over one another. And there are three specific things we need to be aware of. Uh, again, I'm only going to talk about the first one this week. We'll come back to the root of bitterness and Esau next week. So stay tuned. But, but the first thing verse 15 says is this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We need God's daily grace in order to obtain peace and holiness. These are not things that we can get in our own strength or power. We need grace every day, 
always new, fresh grace. That means hearing the gospel. That means partaking of the sacraments. That means praying and being prayed for. That means benefiting from the speaking and serving gifts within the body. Every day, I need grace. And so our job as a, as a church, as a whole, right, is to see to it that every member gets the grace every day that they need. It's not just my job. It's not just David and Scott's and Brian and Todd's job. It's our job as a church. All of us see to it, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And of course, that means there's a, there's a real danger, right? There's a, there is a danger that we might not get the grace that we need, that we will fail to obtain it in some way, right? We get distracted. We get consumed with other things. We love our sin more than we love our Savior. We pursue our sin more than we pursue our Savior. Friends, let's make sure that no one in our midst fails to obtain the grace of God. We must show that grace with our lives. We must speak that grace with our lips. We must exhort others to repentance and faith and new obedience every day as long as it is called today. And so get ready, work hard, and watch out. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We need grace. We need grace because we need holiness. We need holiness because we need to see our God and we need to see our God because we were made for joy, the joy that is found alone in his presence. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And we pray that you would help us to help one another along that road. We thank you for the church, that you haven't left us alone in this striving, but that you've given us a community that we might strive together ultimately to pursue you, to pursue your grace. Pour out your spirit on us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.